This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiaki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiaki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Hello again, dear friends, and welcome to the Science of Magic, where we combine the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions through evolutionary thinking. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring Ictumeo, or spider. Many Native American legends tell of how spider wove the original alphabet, making words possible. Others say spider is the weaver of realities, and yet others say her web is a gate between worlds. Upon contemplating the many aspects of spider as an archetypal force, we see all these things are true. Each letter forming language is a mapping of frequency. Each combination of frequencies is a separate reality. Realities united create the web of physical life. This web is the veil shaman passed through to enter the other world. We must transcend this same web to cross over when we leave our bodies. Rigid adherence to cultural language in the form of beliefs can bind us to a limited reality. Clinging to the web of the material world limits our consciousness, and when we die, can trap us as ghosts. Shaman use ritual and shifts of consciousness to pierce the veil in order to obtain knowledge and wisdom unavailable from this side. Many traditions sing their dead across, creating a passageway for the dying by transcending the veil with frequency of word and sound. Incidents of dying individuals seeing their dead ancestors or speaking of things beyond this reality are reported by all cultures and religious traditions, as well as emergency workers and hospice personnel. Natural thinning of the veil in preparation for death is a fascinating subject that our guest this hour has spent quite some time researching. With us to examine the topic of consciousness, death, and words from the other side is Lisa Smart, the author of Words at the Threshold. A linguistic educator and poet, Lisa founded the Final Words Project, an ongoing study devoted to collecting and interpreting the mysterious language at the end of life. She co-facilitates workshops about language and consciousness with Raymond Moody at the universities, hospices, and conferences, and lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. Lisa, thanks for joining us on The Science of Magic. Great to be here, Gwilda. What exactly is a Final Words Project? The Final Words Project is an informal research study that I established in 2014, and it's, it was founded to better understand the communications of the dying. No linguist had ever studied the language of uh, people at end of life, and I became very curious when I uh, was bedside with my father and heard remarkable changes in his words. So what is that what drew you to researching people's final words? Absolutely. I, I have a training um, in linguistics. I went to UC Berkeley, and language has always intrigued me. But it was really when I sat bedside with my father that I realized that something 
different happens when people are dying to their language. And as my father entered the last three weeks of his life, I wrote down everything that he said. And what emerged was, well, you spoke about the spider. And what I saw at those last weeks of life was every leg of language, every uh, a web was woven of metaphor, of nonsense, of telepathic language, of nonverbal uh, communication of all kinds. So the multi-legged spider appeared in those final days in the form of language. Mm, was your father bilingual or, or did he just speak one language? He spoke one language, but what emerged was from that single language, which was English, all of a sudden I heard rich allegory and metaphor. Suddenly he spoke in nonsensical terms. He began to talk of angels that he had never, ever believed in or saw before. So when I speak of the multi-legs, I speak, I'm speaking of the very different facets and types of language that we know exist. So there's nonsensical language, there's metaphor, there's, of course, non nonverbal communication through hand movements and so forth. And then there's um, perception and speaking of another realm that we may not know in our everyday lives. And my father began referring to angels and things that he had never believed in while he was uh, more gonna, lucid. I'm we're sorry. Gonna have to, that's okay. We're going to have to take a short break. Lisa and I will return shortly. So don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Our current episodes are aired daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. For prior innovative episodes can always be accessed free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? 
Wire crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere. Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at Songs and Stories for Soldiers. Soldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is founder of the Final Words Project and author of Words at the Threshold, Lisa Smart. Her website, finalwordsproject.org. Lisa, how did you collect the data for your research? Um, I did so through a variety of methods. I spoke to healthcare professionals who shared a variety of stories and accounts with me. Um, I had conversations with loved ones and asked them to write down words that they f- and then share them with me when they felt comfortable to do so. And also through my website and Facebook, people were able to submit accounts either confidentially or you know with their names, whatever they felt most comfortable doing. Have there been any independent studies on this? As far as I know, there really hasn't. Um, everything has been anecdotal and informal. The, the best uh, reference around or most comprehensive is Final Gifts by Maggie Callanan and Patricia Kelly, who are two hospice nurses, and they did a beautiful job of speaking of the metaphors of end of life. But as far as I know, um, Raymond Moody, who helped, guide this uh, project and myself for the first two to really look at the unintelligible language, the language that also baffles and puzzles us um, at the end of life. Is it kind of like speaking in tongues? That's a really great question. You know, we see some language that does seem like speaking in tongues at end of life, like gibberish. And we also see a sentence um, like, uh, yes, I would like some scrambled eggs, but where would you reappear? Or, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going up so I can go down. Um, you know, things like that that are almost Alice in Wonderland dish. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Um, yes, so so we see all types of nonsense, anywhere from gibberish, which is almost like uh, speaking in tongues or almost incantational, and then more those that are like the examples they gave, which are more like sentences. Well, you know, um, shamanically speaking, um, there's a veil that holds this reality together, and mm-hmm. in order to cross the veil to either cross over or to get information like the shaman do, the veil needs to be thinned or broken Mm. in places. And they've used incantations, they've used nonsensical uh, chanting, uh, words, um, and it sounds very much like what you're talking about. And that's what's remarkable to me is when I went into this research, my own spirituality and my own kind of open-mindedness to what happens has completely transformed in the last five years. Because as I did this work, gathered the data, and began to really step into this world, I began to see how language and shifts in consciousness really go hand in hand. And, you know, 
what I found out is that nonverbal consciousness, which is the consciousness of altered reality, right? It's where words don't exist. Oftentimes, we get there oftentimes by letting go of language. And oftentimes when we are there, our language shifts. Um, so, and brain studies have shown this brain scans show that people who are speaking in tongues, for example, are also having very enlightened moments. This is research from Andrew Newberg. What they show is that the parts of the brains that are engaged are non-language oriented. They're more connected to mystical and musical and transcendent experience. So oftentimes when we hear nonsense and those kinds of phrases, or even something like a koan, you know, what's the sound of one hand clapping, we'll start seeing shifts in the brain that are more closely connected to mystical and transpersonal experiences that we see, for example, in mystics and monks, and I'm sure shamans as well. Well, it leaves you kind of wondering, which comes first, the language mm. that puts you into an altered state or the altered state that feeds you the language? Mm, very, I think that's a good point. And I think at end of life, what happens, there, it, it's just, I believe, as I witnessed this for five years, that it's almost like we're wired for transpersonal experience at end of life. And I think our language just tracks this remarkable evolution from literal consciousness or verbal consciousness of, you know, Gwilda, please hand me the, you know, the cup over there to something much more unique to something like, hand me my passport, I need to get to the new next country, where it's not really in the realm of the literal. And then we see this whole evolution at end of life of language that seems to move us closer and closer to some other type of consciousness. So my sense is that the consciousness shifts and our language moves along with it. However, when we're doing spells or incantations or uh, doing shamanic work of some kind, and the language in that case may help us enter the same kind of state of being that people move into as they're dying. Amazing. Well, that's why they call it death, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> you know, the shamanic trance is oftentimes called uh, death. So I didn't realize that. I didn't yeah. realize that. That's yeah. Some, yeah. some say, well, I have to cross to the other side. I'm dying to this mm. world and crossing to the other side. It's amazing ah. to watch, too. So is there a commonality in the language of the dying from one case to the next? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the patterns, I, I, I now have uh, 2,000 utterances that I collected. And as a linguist, I was trained to put things in a you know, certain kinds of categories. And one of the categories that first emerges are, are is that of metaphors. So we see people start speaking in, um, well, talking about boats coming or trains coming. Or again, I think I'd reference the whole idea of I need a passport, I, I'm going to another country. So we hear a lot of metaphors about travel, because indeed, people are lying still in their beds or, or not, you know, with very little movement, but they're talking about needing to go somewhere and and having their suitcase packed but waiting for the train to come. Um, We also hear announcements of metaphors that I call momentous metaphors, announcing that some kind of big event is is coming anywhere from I'm getting ready for the big dance or I'm waiting for the big dinner or the golf game even or a poker game. Um, so it's very common to hear people say something like, my grandmother woke up in the middle of the night and started getting dressed in a long gown that was in the back of the closet. She was sitting at her dressing table, putting on her jewelry and makeup. An aide came to see what was going on. My grandma said, why? I'm getting ready for the big dance. She then lay down on the bed and died. Whoa. You know, it kind of takes a fear out of it, doesn't it? If you, It just seems kind of joyous in a way. You know, again, I did not enter this research expecting any kind of personal transformation. I walked into it as a linguist with a pen in hand. And actually what happened is that pen uh, pen was almost like an umbrella that opened up <laughs> and took me to another, another place because I personally have have really lost the fear of dying by witnessing the hundreds and hundreds of uh, words that people say as they're crossing. Mm. What age group did your studies include? 
really all ages. Um, I worked very closely with a couple of hospice nurses that work specifically with children. So I heard their accounts that, you know, of course, the parents were saddened by these tragedies, and yet the children brought so much wisdom um, in their final words and often remarked about seeing their grandmothers and angels who were coming and gave, gave their mothers and fathers great comfort as they heard these words. And then I, um, you know, really people of all ages, wherever there were hospice patients, there were final words, and, and it ranged from any age from uh, six years old to 102. What, um, how did it change you um, and your views of life after death this, doing this study? Oh, in every imaginable way. Um, you know, first of all, I think as a linguist, I understood that language can take many forms and that there's no one type of language that's better than another kind of language. For example, uh, you know, whether you hear language from the ghetto or language from China or language from an, you know, highly educated academic, all that language is the same. And it's, it's an expression of, um, of the human experience and who we are as humans and no language is better than the other. However, I didn't really fully understand how language has so many faces and facets and capacities and that something nonsensical truly may not be inferior language. You know, people think, oh my God, my mother's speaking nonsense. She's really losing it. It's so scary and terrible. Well, it actually may be that the very language that we hear that sounds so scary, like someone's, quote, losing it, may actually be the very web that you spoke of early in the show through which people, uh, through which people enter to go beyond to another place. And as I saw this time and time again in the stories I heard, I mean, over 70% uh, of people in my sample were talking about visitations from loved ones. They were talking about uncles and aunts and husbands and wives with great comfort and joy who have come to their bedside days before they were passing to bring them home. Now, of course, that gave me tremendous comfort and also opened up my eyes to really believe that that something very magical is waiting for us at the threshold and that language is much more than this functional tool that gets us you know, gets us dinner at the restaurant, <laughs> you know, you know, exactly. it's much, much more powerful. Um, I, I help the dead to cross as part of, part of my mm. practice. It's, uh-huh. um, uh, psychopomp, but, um, I was helping my mother die and I was holding mm. the gate. In other words, I was holding a frequency that was kind of between worlds so that she could mm. access it when she was ready. And I became aware of, of ancestors that I recognized them because I saw pictures of them in the room, but they weren't really uh. in the room. It was it was just amazing to watch. Ah, oh, beautiful. Just amazing beautiful. to watch. And what what a comfort to know that that somebody's going to help you on the other side. Have you ever heard of anyone that didn't find their way? Hmm, that's a really 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 good question. Um yes, there were and there was one story that um I thought was very intriguing. Uh, this father would always say to his son, he quoted from Invictus, and he would say to his son whenever his son was complaining, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You know, he would he was a tough military man and say, don't complain about anything. Remember, you're the master of your fate. And right before his father passed, and he was really struggling with surrendering, um, because most people, it seems, are able to find a place of surrenderance, but his father was really struggling. And the very last thing he said was, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And then he screamed, bullshit. And he no. died, right? But Whoa. it was sort of like he had that one moment where you, I got the sense from t- this story that he slammed into some kind of reality, right? That he realized he wasn't, but he never seemed to fully come to that place of, of you know, transformation and, and surrenderance to, to what, was, what was before him. We have about a minute left in this segment, um, and I've seen people really struggle because they don't believe in life after death, really struggle in the death process. Have you experienced yeah. that? I absolutely have. I absolutely have, and I encourage people, one thing to do is pick up the pencil and begin to transcribe their loved one's words, and it's one way, I think, to get the sense that something 
very unusual is going on and also something very sacred. Mm, the sacredness is so important and it's it's so sad to see people suffer so when yielding is is so easy at the end if you just can trust it you know yes yes yeah well we're gonna have to take another quick break lisa and i will return to our discussion on the other side so don't go away (laughs) we're coming to you through the x-zone broadcast network don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net you're listening to the science of magic your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, the science of magic.net. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder, Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, StarwalkerVisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today, Know the Name, Know the Person, or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen.
Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is founder of Final Words Project and author of Words at the Threshold, Lisa Smart. Her website, finalwordsproject.org. Lisa, a couple times we've touched on metaphors and allegories at, at you know, when somebody's getting ready to cross. What do you think the purpose, I mean, you know, we see those, that's the way shamanic information comes through. What do you think is going on there for the dying that they start suddenly tapping into the metaphors and allegories? Um, I think there are a few things that are happening. One is, I think, I, I think a shama, shamanic work, and I don't know as much about it, so bear with me here, but there's the whole idea of dream time, which is an interface between realities. So I think people are entering what I would call dream time, right? And we know that our dreams are filled with symbols and allegories and that they are as real as this world and so, so often. And I think also that I've heard from those who have died and then come back, when they talk about the other side, everyone says it's ineffable, that there are no words for it, and that the only way that they can talk about their experience is to compare it to something else. But even those comparisons don't really do justice to to their experience. I remember when I said to my uh father, you know, how are you doing, dad? And then uh, his secretary was also there. And he turned to both of us and he said, you know, Alice, this is very interesting. I've never done this before. And he didn't say dying, right? He said this, this kind of mysterious this. And I think what metaphor allows people to do is to speak of something that is completely incomprehensible and compare it and find a source of comparison, though it may not be conscious. That's an unconscious process. And I also believe that there's this kind of dream time world um, that is somehow, you know, one portal or way we connect to the other side. And and I think that becomes very prominent in our final days. And research into the dreams of the dying tell us that people have these evolving dreams where they're working out some of their fears and concerns. And the dreams evolve so that as death comes closer, you often find greater and greater ease and joy about this great journey that's coming. And people also repeat, report seeing, again, loved ones or special figures of light or divine beings being with them in their dreams. But it's almost like dream time and dream life and this so-called real world intersect in very uh, magical and powerful ways in those final days. You know, the people that I've been around um, helping cross, some of them were my relatives and some were clients, the one thing I've noticed in all of them, no matter their condition, is right towards the end, all of a sudden they get this burst of energy mm-hmm. or lucidity that uh, they haven't de- you know, demonstrated maybe for months. Um, have you experienced that and what do you think that's about? That is something I saw frequently in my research and other researchers are just beginning to take a look at right now. And I've heard the expression terminal lucidity and also the sunset day. But um, and oftentimes what happens in in that window uh, of time, people speak words of reconciliation and love and even guidance. And I heard stories of people who were completely unresponsive, who appeared to be in comas, that everyone thought that the loved one was completely not there. And then there was this brightening, even people described physical brightening as if Mm -hmm. there were a light around them. And they would say things such as, tell everyone I love them and I'm okay. And then we'd go Mm. back into the state or I never told you that I loved you, Barbara. And then go back into another state. One story that was the most remarkable of this term, you know, period of lucidity, was um, a gentleman described that his mother had Alzheimer's for several years, and he just didn't feel that they connected verbally and, and at all. Then she went to a coma, and three days before she died, she got up, she looked at him, and said. I don't want you to be confused at all about the finances. When I go, look down in the, my study drawer, the third drawer down are all the files you'll need. I love you, honey. And then she went back into the coma and passed a few days later. Wow. 
It's amazing how people rally, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Have your studies indicated that there may be a way for the living to understand and communicate in end-of-life speech? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think if we can open up and just not be afraid of the language that we hear, you know, just for those of us who have had children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews, there are times that those children will speak to us and we'll it may not always make sense, right, but we'll enter into their world or they may refer to imaginary friends or animals or so-called imaginary friends or animals, and we'll just join with them because we love them. And that's how we express our love is by connecting into that world. So one thing is that, you know, we really can join with those that we love and whatever they're speaking of, just validate it. If someone says, I need my passport to go to the other country, of course you need your passport. How can I help you get your passport? Or if there are things that are confusing that you hear, just ask and engage in conversation. And really what's remarkable, and I've heard this from so many people, is as they entered in to these conversations that may at first seem nonsensical, oftentimes certain revelations and insights occur just by stepping into the conversation and not being afraid. Would you advise learning about allegory um, to aid Mm. in end-of-life communications? Oh, I think so. I think that's a wonderful idea. And the more we can feel comfortable with metaphor and stories, you know, I think it was Elie Wiesel who said God created man or humans because he loves stories. And (laughs) yeah, and I just think that's such a wonderful perspective. And the really, and we hear this from near-death survivors also, you know, people have had near-death experiences, that they have a life review. And as they look back at their life, they're just struck by the story-like quality of their life. And a lot of, as I've done this research, a lot of the insights that have really been important to me have to do with the nature of story and allegory. And really, if nothing else this whole idea that we are here on some kind of journey is is one of the most accessible and real stories to me. And in the United Kingdom right now, they've done this research about how to speak to people about end of life. And what they found is that a lot of doctors were saying things like, you got to battle this disease. You know, you're going to win. you got to battle it. And what they found is that kind of metaphor and, and that kind of story was actually very destructive because inevitably we're all going to die. So does that mean we're all going to lose a battle? And what they found is if you talked about death and dying as a journey and as a passage, that the results for everybody was more compassionate and more comforting, whatever their spiritual beliefs were. So I think allegory and story is so core to the human experience in every way. So yes, I think so. Indeed, Gwilda. How do you see your work as serving to help engage those who we love in their final days? My hope is that as people realize that the language that we hear at end of life, and that hasn't really been studied at all in the past, I mean, this is a very new frontier, but that language may actually have its own wisdom and have patterns. And, you know, almost like nature has these patterns that we may not fully understand until we can enter in and honor and and just open open up the possibility that this is divine and sacred order just like trees and leaves are right there's the same order in it so i really as people see that the patterns of language that i found are consistent and seem to in my opinion have some kind of divine structure that that invites us into the web invites us into entering into a new dimension and to also celebrate celebrate the dimension we're we're in right here. Mm. You know, one thing that I've noticed over the years is the quality that hospice nurses take on. Mm. And I, I, I had a friend that I knew her before she was a hospice nurse, and then I knew her after she'd done it numerous years. And a lot of times people say, how can you have such a morbid job? And yet I find more peace and more groundedness in those people that work with the dying day in and day out than most people. Can you explain that? Oh, I I have 
been so impressed and moved by the people that I have had the privilege to interview um, in, in these last four or five years. And now some of my best friends are people who work in hospice. And I think, you know, one of the stories that that I have from this work is of a nurse who works in hospice in a very prestigious medical facility. She asked me not to mention her name or, or where it is, but she started having this experience of, she calls it the language of the soul. She started having telepathic communication with her patients. Now, this is a woman who is scientifically trained, medical professional, as grounded as they come. And after being in her field for 30 years, she tells me that she literally hears her patients letting her know when they're ready to die, when it's coming, and what they need from her. And she often, the doctors would consult with her because they imagine that what it is, that she has brilliant uh, medical skills, which she also has, but she never feels that she could openly share with him that she is hearing the patients communicate with her telepathically. But in her heart, she knows that she's getting information. And she feels that through working all these years so close to the threshold, it has expanded her own telepathic awareness. And again, the doctors all think it's just her medical school training, but she knows it's been her experience of working at the threshold. So, like, being at the threshold has expanded her frequency uh, range? That has been her experience. And she told me story after story of just being near patients, and they and she would hear them say something like, uh, I have till Wednesday afternoon. Please make sure my son Bobby come and sees me, and could you make sure you get the quilt from the cabin in the mountains that I love so much? You know, and then she would, uh, she would never, rarely she would be direct about these communications because there's still such a lack of acceptance, of course, in the medical community and, and even with the patient's families. But many times she would say these things, and indeed they would be absolutely uh, correct. And she did not enter into this field with that ca capability or capacity. And I've heard this from many other hospice workers and, and nurses about having this real just communication that goes beyond beyond words it's, oh, we, it's yeah it's pretty phenomenal just to even think about it isn't it it's like um i bet she had to be careful with her languaging uh how she could get some of these messages across and at the same time not wig people out Exactly. You were asking earlier if my father was bilingual. Well, I think this is a great case of someone who is bilingual because as a medical professional, she's had to learn to speak speak both languages, if not more, in a certain way. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so the language of the soul and the language of ordinary reality. Yes. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Well, we're going to have to take another quick break. Lisa and I will be back shortly, so don't you guys leave us now. This is the Science of Magic, your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric, working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family to receive our amazing topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. 
To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? Email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one interested. Our guest this hour is founder of Final Words Project and author of Words at the Threshold, Lisa Smart. Her website, finalwordsproject.org. Lisa, do you think that language unravels as we transcend the rate web of physical reality and the frequencies holding it together. Yes, I do. And what really intrigues me is that you see, it seems that the language unravels and you, it takes us, it's like a thread that takes us back to the beginning of life. Because we know that, of course, when we're born, we are born with the capacity to speak and recognize 800 phonemes. And that's sounds. And that large capacity suddenly becomes reduced within six months as Mm. we 
learn our native language. So for example, in English, we have 44 phonemes. So, uh, and if we have other languages, that capacity is larger, of course. If there are other languages, we learn other sounds. But basically, we come into the world with this uh, infinite capacity. And then quickly, as we manifest and come into this world, we see this progression of language acquisition that involves first these sounds, this gibberish, nonsense. <laughs> you know, we see uh, invisible and unseen, re you know, references to unseen beings and invisible beings. And uh, so a lot more metaphor and symbolic language in, in ways um, in in the language of children often. So it's really, it's fascinating to me that it almost is if everything that occurs early on in life in terms of language development almost unravels at the portal. And, you know, I had stories, for example, of people who are dying speaking with toddlers. Matter of fact, one grandfather spoke of his toddler and looked at her and said, how can that baby be in both worlds at once? Mm -hmm. And there was another story of a woman who was dying, a grandmother and, and a, a, a great-grandchild, I think, sitting on the bed, and they were both speaking gibberish together <laughs> as if they understood each other. So it does seem that language unravels. And when you think about language and how it connects us to this literal world. It's, it's literal language gets us through our literal ordinary days. And unusual language takes us somewhere else, as we've talked about before. And I almost get this sense that language is like a coat we put on. You know, we all have a different coat, whether it's French or Chinese, but we come into this world and we get into this this jacket or coat that we wear throughout our life. And then literally those threads do unravel bit by bit as we're dying. And what's really fascinating in those final weeks is to see that sacred unraveling. And then we go back to this whole idea of the web, right? The, uh, the, a new web seems to be being built out of that deconstruction of language. So the answer is I do indeed see some kind of unraveling, but I don't think it's a negative unraveling. I think something new is being woven of, of those threads. I, li I like the way you related it to being born. I mean, isn't yeah. you're, you're birthed into death, and I've you know I've been at births and I've been at deaths, and they're very similar. I have heard this. There are so many hospice nurses that I interviewed who said to me that they were either formally labor and delivery nurses or someday want to be labor and delivery nurses, <laughs> and. Many times I have walked into rooms where people have died. I do not have the, as much experience as you do, but I've had that feeling of that very sacred quality that a birth room has. And, you know, it's not, birth is not easy. You can walk into a room where birth has taken place and it's bloody and painful. I mean, it's not necessarily beautiful how we think of beauty necessarily, and that can be true in the rooms of the dying, but there is a sacredness about it that is that is just unforgettable and and completely tenable, you know, tenable. You can feel it. And my experience with many people who are dying is that they seem to have an expanded awareness. I mean, I was told by many professionals that the dying can hear what we say in the room next door and to really mm -hmm. recognize that the silence that surrounds a person who's dying doesn't mean that they are no longer hearing us. Right. It's amazing how long the ability to hear lasts after the, law, the ability to interact leaves. Yes. And I've yeah. heard that from people who've done research in comas also, that people who come out of comas report that they have much higher uh, level of awareness than many of us think, that there's much more going on, much more consciousness happening, even though to the world around them, they seem completely unresponsive. So, you know, another thing that comes to my mind um, is that if you've ever heard anybody doing sleep talk, it sounds mm -hmm. very much like uh, the end-of-life talk. Oh, you are 
so right about that. And um, one of the things I've tried to do, I've had at a, a couple presentations that I've done, I've had people say, oh, my husband or my wife or my friend speaks at night, speaks in their sleep. And I said, oh, please tape record it, please, 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 <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I can analyze it. And um, several people have promised, but no one has yet delivered any transcripts to me of that night talk. I would just, if anyone in your listening audience would um, ever want to do that, I would be so, so grateful. So uh, if you're a spouse that's, that uh, happens to speak in your sleep, keep an eye on your spouse because they may have a tape recorder, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what does this tell us about, what does end-of-life speech indicate about consciousness? It indicates to me that... Um, that consciousness continues in some ways. There are some examples of things I haven't mentioned today, and one of them is something I call sustained narratives, where someone may begin a story three weeks before they die about waiting for the train to come and packing their suitcase, and over several weeks, the story evolves. And how can a story like that evolve if there's no consciousness? Or how can someone come out of a coma to describe to their loved one where they left the files for them? And I just can't believe that consciousness ends uh, when life ends, as I look at the words of the threshold, and I've done this research, and even... And even look at visitations and loved ones coming to gather us. There's, there's too much here in the data, and I keep getting more data literally every day that just confirms for me that consciousness continues. And I believe language is like the tracks in the sand that we can follow to, to see that. What do you think is the most important thing we can learn from end-of-life speech? Um, that language has many aspects to it and to honor and respect language for its many capabilities and that language has a capacity not only to bring us into this dimension and this reality and that's very helpful when you, as I said, when you want a cup of water or order dinner at a restaurant, but language also has a capacity to to bring us into other dimensions and also as we're in other dimensions, new language is revealed to us. So I believe that the language of the threshold teaches us about the richness of the world at the threshold and also of the richness of language itself. So when we, I loved what you said about um, how a child comes in with the capacity to take in much more sounds, and then within what was it, six weeks, it's diminished by the language yeah. spoken around them. Yeah, six months. Um, yes, six or six months. So, so what we do is we dumb ourselves down into a little channel through mm. our socialization. Mm -hmm. But when we're getting ready to cross, or when we learn a new language, I've heard I've heard people they learn a new language and suddenly they get new insight. That speaks of a lot of power in the spoken word, doesn't it? It really it does. It it does, and I think that the spoken word does have the capacity to, I mean, if you even think certain cultures have certain uh, phrases and perspectives that we don't in our language, right? Some, some, for example, make distinctions between male and female in their language and some don't. So just mm -hmm. even a distinction in gender could completely shift our consciousness and the way we think. So we know that language has this tremendous capacity to shape our worldview. And it also, I think, has a capacity to shape our relationship to other dimensions, or at least states of being, if nothing else. We have about a minute left. Where are you, you going to go from here, Lisa? Where's your work going to go? Well, you know, one thing, and, and this uh, has just been emerging in the last few weeks, I really have been thinking about the many ways that source communicates to us. And I believe that there are messages all around us that can support our lives and give us more intuition and expanded wisdom and awareness, and that we can tap these types of language anywhere from the way our bodies communicate to us, the way our dreams communicate to us, and the way our dying communicate with us. So I want to do more work in looking at the many ways that we can find messages to serve others and serve our own lives. We have just a few seconds left. Would you share some famous last words? Oh, you bet. Let's get some here. Steve Jobs, many of us know. Oh, wow. 
Oh, wow. Oh, oh wow. wow. And we are out of time. Our guest this hour has been founder of Final Words Project and author of Words at the Threshold, Lisa Smart. Her website, finalwordsproject.org. This has been the Science of Magic. For in-depth exploration of leading-edge subjects from numerous authorities and viewpoints, join our email family to receive our topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you explore the veil. Yeah.